Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Radio Days. Today, three Horatio Hornblower Adventures. The Admiral Hornblower Adventures were the literary creation of C.S. Forrester, who took actual stories from British naval heroes Lord Nelson, Sir George Cockburn, Lord Cochrane, Sir Edward Pillou, Jeremiah Cochrane, Sir James Gordon, and Sir William Host. The actions of the Royal Navy at that time, documented in official reports, provided much of the material for Hornblower's fictional adventures. And by the way, the name Horatio was inspired by the character in William Shakespeare's Hamlet, and chosen also because of its association with contemporary figures such as Nelson. Reviews for 1001 Radio Days are always appreciated. Thank you. Today's stories, Horatio deals with a mad king. And the second story, Horatio captures the Natividad. Both stories are full of action and adventure, and we hope you enjoy them very much. Call all hands. Speak to quarters. Come out the gun. Stand by this tower battery. One broadside into it, if you please, Captain Bush. Pointers on target. Blind stops ready. Aye, aye, sir. Ready. C.S. Forrester's Indomitable Man of the Sea, Horatio Hornblower. Then de Crespo spoke to the crew, 
a mixed collection of Spaniards, Chinese, Negroes, Indians. Sweeping Spaniards from the Dominion of America. Within a year, the whole of the land from Mexico to Peru will be at his feet. There will be an end of Spanish misrule, of brutal domination, of slavery in mine and thieves. There will be land for everybody. Freedom and happiness under El Supremo. You can join us all. The alternative you have seen. Now, who is for El Supremo? I am. I am too. Thank you too, Captain. I think there is no more need for your prize crew now. Any insubordination arise later, I shall be able to deal with it. I'm quite sure you will. Mr. Gerard, you will order your crew to withdraw and return to the Lydia. As my boat bore me back to my ship, I reflected bitterly on the murder of the Spanish master's mate. But there was nothing I could have done. At all costs, I must not fall out with Supremo or his followers while my orders remained uncompleted. As I reached my own deck... The boom of a gun from the Natividad was answered by one from the Lydia. A new flag was flying from the peak of the Natividad, blue with a yellow star in the middle. Fire six! If I hadn't been born a ruddy fool, I shouldn't be here. <laughs> Fire seven! I've left my wife and I've left my home everything that's dear. <laughs> Half an hour later, El Supremo came riding down to the beach with his ragged retinue. And I met him there. As we rode out to the Lydia, I ran my eye over the ship to see that all was ready to receive our ally with full military formality. But before he mounted the ladder, he remarked, The correct salute for me, Captain, is 23 guns. Uh, uh, <clears throat> Mr. Bush, uh, pass the word to Mr. Marsh for 23 guns. <laughs> Don't look so stricken, Mr. Bush. It's two more than His Majesty himself receives. It's entirely meaningless. Uh, Dinner will be served shortly, El Supremo. Would you care to come below? I will dine here, alone. Let the food be brought to me. The misery and embarrassment of our makeshift dinner in the gun room, into which we crowded with Supremo's retinue, was mercifully cut short by the arrival of the officer of the watch. Uh, beg your pardon, sir, but there's a messenger from the shore. I, I can't understand a word he says. Oh, very well, I'll come on deck. Um, I think you'd better accompany me, Mr. Bush. Thank you, sir. Last load, thank heaven. Never seen such a damned and murderous gang of cats out in my life. Soldiers, they call them. I give a week's back, he don't know what the captain's up to. Yeah. He don't stand what he's standing from this supreme of an Well, here we are. Right alongside. Come on, Ansem, up that ladder. Up the ladder, I say. We aren't sitting here all day. Lord me, as awkward as a powder monkey. Look out, he's lost his old stand from under. Where is she finding time to go swimming, is it? Find him some dry clothes. Capitan, 
Oblige me by hanging those two men from the yard arm. What? I said, please hang that clumsy fool of a soldier. I will not have fools in my army. And your seamen must be hanged for daring to save a man I would prefer to have been drowned. Uh, <clears throat> With all due respect, Supremo, if I did what you wish, my men would no longer respect me. And it's essential for the success of our venture, yours and mine, that I should keep the loyalty and love of my crew. Love? Captain, uh, I will show you loyalty. Where is that scum who fell into the sea? Supremo, I am here. I shall be merciful because it pleases me to be so. I was going to hang you, but instead I give you permission to drown. Thank you, Supreme Edgar. Blimey, he's going to jump overboard. So, and now, Captain, you will, of course, hang your man. I bow to your wish, Supremo, but uh, may I not have the honor of following the lesson you have so kindly taught me? I do not understand you, Captain. Allow me to demonstrate. Um, uh, Harvey, come here. I'm here, sir. You have displeased El Supremo, Harvey, which means uh, <coughs> death. I give you permission to go. P permission to... Uh, <laughs> oh, thank you kindly, sir. vanity of Supremo was so colossal that it apparently never occurred to him that Harvey was probably the finest diver and swimmer in the British Navy. Everything appears to be in order. 
Senor. Greetings to our new allies. I am proud to be serving with Spain against the Corsican tyrant. Thank you, Captain. We were very much afraid lest you should fall in with the Natividad before you heard the news, because she has not heard it either. Uh, in that case, I'm afraid your fine frigate would have come to serious harm. Uh, <clears throat> uh, Narvit, uh, bring the prisoners up from the cable tier, quickly. Oh, my I regret to have to tell you, senor, that by evil chance, the Natividad met us a week ago. You met the Natividad? I plunged feverishly into an explanation, but it was not easy to tell a Spanish captain that I'd captured a ship twice my power without receiving one shot, nor to explain that the ship was now under the flag of El Supremo. Then, a fresh and harassing aspect of the situation struck him. Something must be done. The Manilla Galleon is at sea. She's due to arrive at Acapulco next month with priceless treasure. The Natividad will intercept her and... Oh, her loss might well bankrupt our government. Very well, sir. My duty is plain. I will take my ship back to fight the Natividad. Thank you, Captain. You will call at Panama first to consult the Viceroy? Yes. Then I will bid you goodbye for the time being. If I reach Panama first, I will arrange your welcome. Thank you, sir. You see, Mr. Bush, the situation is complicated. That's your fault, sir. After all, you have only obeyed your admiralty orders. The Lords of the Admiralty will not allow such a small point to influence their opinion of a captain and his officers, who are the cause of such trouble, Mr. Bush. Uh, I feel you're right, sir. However, there's another and more pressing matter. Lady Barbara Wilsley is at Panama and desires a passage in the Lydia to Europe. Sir, how could we carry such a lady in the Lydia? Uh, the frigate is hardly equipped for comfort. That is what I shall have to point out to the lady. Now, if she has the normal Wellesley blood in her, I suspect I shall be wasting my time. I was soon to have an opportunity of finding out at first hand. We sailed into the roadstead of Panama the next morning. There's a lady in the boat, sir. An English lady, I think. Wants to come aboard, sir. Uh, <clears throat> she seems disinclined to wait for permission, it seems. We shall uh, take no action, Mr. Bush. Mm-hmm. One of those masculine women. No real woman would catch and climb a rope ladder like that. Besides, what's an English woman doing in Panama without a male escort? Mr. Midshipman, please be so good as to have my luggage brought up out of the boat. Oh, well, well uh, there's the captain, madam. Yes, so I see. But please have my luggage brought up while I speak to him. I faced an internal struggle. I disliked the aristocracy. I could not forget that as a doctor's son, I had had to touch my hat to the local squire. Yet it would be foolish for a poverty-stricken frigate captain with no influence to offend a member of such a family as the Wilsleys. For the present, I decided on icy formality. Are you the captain of this ship, sir? Captain Hornblower, at your service, ma'am. Well, I am Lady Barbara Wellesley. I wrote you a note requesting a passage to England. I trust you received it? I did, ma'am, but I do not think it wise for your ladyship to join this vessel. Please tell me why, sir. Because, ma'am, we shall shortly be in action with the enemy. Also, we shall have to return to England via Cape Horn. Your ladyship uh, would be well advised to make your way to Portobello. From there, you could reach Jamaica and obtain a berth in a West India packet, which is accustomed to female passengers. I have informed you, sir, that there is yellow fever in Portobello. Yes, ma'am, but... A thousand persons died of it last week. That is why I removed to Panama. May I ask why your ladyship was in Portobello? Because, sir, the West Indian packet in which I was a female passenger was captured by a Spanish privateer and brought there. I see. I regret, sir, that I cannot tell you the name of my grandmother's cook, but I shall be glad to answer any further questions which a gentleman of breeding would ask. Yes, but, but, but we are going out to fight, to fight a ship of twice our force. It will be dangerous. <laughs> I would rather be on your ship, whomever you have to fight, than to be in Panama with a yellow fever. Uh-huh. Oh. What of Cape Horn, ma'am? Well, I have no knowledge of it. But I've twice rounded the Cape of Good Hope during my brother's governor generalship, and I have never yet been seasick. Uh-huh. <clears throat> well, soon, Captain, I will come to think that I shall be unwelcome aboard. I can hardly imagine that a gentleman holding the king's commission would be discourteous to a woman, especially to a woman with my name. I uh, was only doing my duty, ma'am, in pointing out the dangers to which you will be exposed. For myself, uh, nothing would... Give me greater pleasure than your presence.
surrender again. First to El Supremo and now to Lady Barbara. If I offended this lady, I might, well, never command the ship again. My wife and I might rot on half pay for the rest of our lives. I was 37 and not more than one-eighth of the way up the captain's list. The goodwill of the Wellenses might enable me to reach flag rank. Begging your pardon, ma'am? Put your luggage into the board, sir. Oh, thank you. Be so kind as to give this to the boat. But, ma'am, uh, there will be no room in your cabin for a tenth of that luggage. I am aware of that, sir. I have dwelt in a cabin before. That sea chest will hold all I require. The rest can be put where you will. And now, may I see my cabin? A frigate has few of the luxuries of an Indiaman. I was just thinking that it was scandalous that a king's officer should be given such quarters. And as I left to pay my call on the Viceroy... Where shall I serve her ladyship's dinner, sir? I don't know, first. Ask her, blast you. Michael Redgrave, is based on the novels by C.S. Forrester. Music composed and conducted by Sidney Torch. Produced by Harry Allen Towers. C.S. Forrester's Indomitable Man of the Sea, Horatio Hornblower. seafaring career, but as I look back now, I can remember none graver than that which faced me as I prepared to sail in my frigate in search of the Natividad. I had captured her before in harbor, by night and by surprise. Now, I must meet her on the open sea, where her enormous superiority in firing force must give her the advantage. Well, that was bad enough, but now I 
had the additional responsibility of a high-born and influential passenger, Lady Barbara Wellesley. When I returned to the ship after calling on the Viceroy at Panama, I summoned Bush, my first lieutenant, to my cabin. Mr. Bush, where's Lady Barbara? She's on the quarterdeck, sir. I had the carpenter knock up her hammock chair for her. Huh? I had a bit of awning rigged so as to give her some shade. Mr. Bush, the Lydia is a frigate about to go into action, not an Indiaman with nothing to do but pamper passengers. Uh, no, sir. If Lady Wellesley takes advantage of her position and forces me to carry her to England, I cannot refuse. But this is no reason why my ship should be turned into a... a, 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 a boudoir. No, sir. Confound your Bush. Can't you say anything but no, sir? Uh, yes, sir. Uh, uh, forgive me, sir, but uh, it would have been highly dangerous for her ladyship to stay ashore with yellow fever spreading as it is. Mm. So she seeks safety by coming aboard a ship which is about to fight an enemy twice its size. Now, hark Mr. Bush, no good will come of this. If we win the battle, we shall be censured for exposing her ladyship to danger. If we lose it, oh, we shall... I cannot be... imagine you losing any battle, sir. Not if it was the whole Spanish fleet instead of just one ship. Yes, when I want your opinion, Mr. Bush, good or otherwise, I will ask for it. How am I going to place my quarterdeck with a woman sitting there? The thing I've just taught is my, my shower bath under the pump on deck. Look, um, have a screen rigged. See that the crew are warned about dress, too. Um, in this heat, most of them work half naked. Aye, aye, sir. She was still on the quarterdeck when I went to attend to the business of getting the ship underway. Infuriating. Well enough, but, well, I was in charge of Her Excellency. 
An admirable woman, but oh, so dull. In Spanish America, women are treated like Mohammedans. And Spanish American food. Oh. <laughs> On the latter point, I agree heartily, Your Ladyship. Well, will you not sit down, Captain? Sit down on my own quarterdeck. Thank you, Your Ladyship, but I've never done such a thing in my life. If you'll forgive me, I prefer to stand. I, um, <clears throat> I came to give you good news. Uh, your brother, Sir Arthur, has won a great victory over the French in Portugal. A great victory? Well, that is very good news. I've always been proud of Arthur, and this makes me prouder still. Well, I'm happy to be the first to congratulate his sister. Oh, Captain, just look at that setting sun. One almost expects to hear the hiss as it sinks into the sea. Yes, I endeavor never to miss the sunset in these waters, Your Ladyship. It's a, it's a daily miracle. Ah, beautiful. Exquisite. Um, I hope Your Ladyship was well provided for during my absence ashore. If there's anything further that lies within my power... Well, there's just one thing, Captain, that I should like to ask as a favor. What is that? That is that you do not call me Your Ladyship. Call me Lady Barbara, if you will. Certainly, Your uh, uh, Lady Barbara. <clears throat> and if Lady Barbara doesn't come easily to you and you wish to attract my attention, you can always say, uh... <clears throat> Oh, Captain, I'm so sorry. Please accept my apologies. I realize now that to mock you was quite unforgivable. There's nothing to forgive, ma'am. And now, if you will forgive me in your turn, I must attend to my duty. Oh, one moment, please. Captain, I, I know that you've much on your mind... I know that before you sail for home, you must fight the Natividad. Will you tell me, what are your prospects in that battle? Well, the Natividad, ma'am, is a two-decker with 50 guns against my 36. She is commanded by Vice Admiral de Crespo, a ruthless and bloodthirsty man who will never surrender. Whatever his faults, he's no coward. But against his force, I have perhaps a little experience. Capable and loyal officers and... Uh, very well trained crew. And they're English. That counts for much. You may be frank with me, Captain. What will happen if we should lose? If I or my crew are taken alive, we shall be hanged or tortured. El Supremo will show no mercy to us for having turned against him. And you... Yeah, it shall be my last care to see that you do not fall into the hands of De Crespo uh, alive. Thank you, Captain. But you're not to worry about me nor to allow my presence to influence you. Should it come to the worst, I too am English and a Wellesley. I know how to die. Sailors would die young. Well, it's a really... Bush's incessant drilling of the crew showed its value now. 
Every man knew his job and did it swiftly and well. The decks were soused with water and strewn with sand. The bulkheads were knocked away. The fire parties took their places at the pumps. The boys ran with cartridges for the guns. And down below, the acting surgeon was dragging the midshipmen's chests together in the cockpit to make an operating table. Lower gun ports. No. Uh-huh. I'll trouble you to have two reefs taken in those topsails. Aye, aye, sir. Top and Two reefs in the topsail. Uh, excuse me, sir. With all this spray breaking aboard, do you think we can rely on the flint triggers for the guns? Or shall we have the slow matches lit in the tubs? Yeah, better light the matches in case. Wheel that. Wheel a small blaster. Both ships are approaching each other at an angle. Steer so that when we meet, our ship has the wind of the other. Do you understand? Aye, aye, sir. Look, sir. There's a puff of smoke. She's open fire. Man's a fool to waste powder and shot at such range. Never forget, Mr. Bush, a first broadside discharge in close quarters with guns carefully loaded. My crews with time to think is worth ten under any other circumstances. Yes, sir. We'd be passing mighty close, sir. But we both stay on this course. In fact, we'll meet bow to bow. No telling who'll have the weather gauge. Was closer. Here comes another. That got us two men down at number four gun, sir. Christmas. We're going to shave it close. Stand by, Mr. Rayner. No fire as the guns bear. We don't have what the hell, my weather. Oh, well, yes, now, hold her as she comes on. Fire! and fear of some fatal error was gone. I stared across the tossing sea of the Natividad. I could see De Crespo up on the poop. The fellow actually had the insolence to wave barely at me. We had had the advantage from our maneuver, two broadsides into it at close range, with only one shot in reply. Now we had to pay for it. I saw the rudder of our opponent kick over, and the next moment the two-decker had swung round and was hurtling down upon us. his crew to fire independently and was working them to the word of command. He was doing it well, too. At intervals, as the sea permitted, her lower deck ports were opening like clockwork and her big 24-pounders were vomiting flame and smoke. Much work this, sir? Yes. Mr. Bush, have the dead carried away from the guns. The crews cannot work properly. The men had better lie on the deck and drag them. It's death to stand in that iron hail. And, uh, Mr. Bush, superior force is too great for us to continue this close work. We shall have to use cunning if we're to survive. It's a pity, sir, but I'm afraid you're right. Answer the races. Now, Mr. Bush, t- back the main topsail a trifle to take way off us. And let the legitimate tank get ahead. Aye, aye, sir. Now, tack set for run across her stern. A broadside, Mr. Jordan. Aye, aye, sir. Now, tack again. Oh, you're, you're covered with blood. Get off with your word, Buster. It's not my blood. Now, 
Clear this mess or we're lost. The missile has carried away the main Tagalog mast with it. Archigan! Hey! Dunskin! Axe is here! Cut that wreckage away! Look out! Here comes all our broadside! Here's your work! I'll run my sword until the animal moves away! Thundered into us, and I felt the Lydia leap and twist like something human as the great shot plunged into her vital. A man wielding his axe near me suddenly vanished in a red mass. I picked up his axe and attacked the tangled wreckage myself. Suddenly I felt the ship lurch and swing. She was free of the wreckage. Most of the men who had been on the quarterdeck with me were dead Marines, seamen, officers. Tibidad was wearing round again, and I forced my mind to concentrate on the problem of how I could maneuver my crippled ship and continue the fight. And the braces! Mr. Bush, we'll try and bring her into the wind. Wheel there, hard to starboard. Starboard, sir! Stand to your guns, men!
Royalist Talbot Battery. One broadside into it, if you please, Captain Bush. Pointers on target. Linstock ready. Aye, aye, sir. Forester's Indomitable Man of the Sea, Horatio Hornblower. disabled ships drifting rapidly apart, and each with no purpose than to patch its wounds and return to destroy the other. I can see the nativity had again. Now the score's cleared, sir. How does she bear? About two points on the starboard beam, sir. Ah. There. Ah. She's too. Looks a bit lopsided without her foremost. Hmm. Seems to have made no attempt as yet to rig a new one. Well, as soon as we can carry it and sail off, so as we can beat the wind over, he'll have it at our mercy. We must try and do it before nightfall, Mr. Bush, and, and or we may lose her altogether in the dark. And uh, now what's this? The funeral party, sir. Oh. Uh, <clears throat> they're already going out there. Uh, <clears throat> How many? Fourteen, sir. Very well. Mr. Bush, have all hands stop work, but remain where they are. I intend no disrespect to the dead. But this ceremony must be swift or the living may be endangered. Aye, aye, sir. We therefore commit their bodies to the deep. seems to be holding. I've been able to release all but 20 men from the pump. Good. Everything ready now for hoisting the mast. All ready, sir. Right. Now, Mr. Bush, it is important that nobody should haul or carry out any movement except by orders. I shall try to use the pitching of the ship to help in the raising of the mast. And if any man acts without my orders, I'll have him flogged. Aye, aye, sir. Hands to the windlass. And Sir Gerard, attend to those swings. Aye, aye, sir. Mr. Galbraith, into the mizzen cage. Right, sir. Rope will slip off the mast head. Eh? Yeah, the jerks away from that stump will sweep the deck like a broadside. You trust the old man. He knows what he's doing. Oh, 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 Joey up the market. Then when the bows dropped, he lays off. Oh, nice time, Daddy. Yeah, better not make no mistakes, though. He won't make no mistakes. I've never seen him make one yet. Oh, don't he look tired, though? He wore up. 
time the long and dangerous struggle with the mast was over and it stood vertical at last, while the men fished it firmly to the stump of the old mizzen, I was sick with weariness. I'd been on my quarter deck for over eight hours with neither rest nor food. And through the stress and labor of the battle, I was beginning to find it difficult to concentrate upon anything. So that Bush had spoken twice before I could force myself to listen. I said, sir, that it's a magnificent piece of work, if you'll allow me to say so, sir. Um, shall I send up the topmast and yards now, sir? I fear it'll be useless to attempt to carry any canvas in this wind and seems to Bush. And the Tibetan is barely in sight now. Uh, just a smudge on the horizon, sir. Aye. There's not much chance of renewing the action till the wind takes off a bit. Yes, I cannot imagine the Admiral accepting that statement in a report. But it's true enough, sir. We're badly knocked about, and the weather's too rough to carry on the fight. Nevertheless, the report will be received with pitying smiles, Mr. Bush. The excuse is too old, like the uncharted rock which always causes a wreck. The Admiral is 10,000 miles away, and they can't judge the strength of this storm from there. If even though I should be accused of cowardice, there's nothing I can do until the weather moderates. No, sir, there's not. But in that case, sir, why not take a rest? You look mortally tired, sir. Indeed you do. Uh, let me send and have a berth screened off for you in the wardroom. Little sticks, Mr. Bush, it's you who need a rest. Dismiss the starboard watch and go below and turn in. While the enemy is in sight, I shall stay on deck. Uh, but, sir, I think... I uh, gave you an order, Mr. Bush. Aye, aye, sir. Good fellow, Bush, but uh, a fool, a sentimental fool. He'd treat me like an old woman if I'd let him. Hmm. I wonder how Lady Barbara is getting on that. Oh, confound it. He has that idiot of a steward now. Can't anybody leave me alone? Well, Paul Will, what do you want? Well, I've been to attend to the lady, sir. I screened off a bit of the all-up for her, sir. The all-up? But the wounded are in there. Well, they're mostly quiet now, sir. No. Well, I couldn't leave her in the cables here. Oh. I've stung the hammock for her. She's, she nicked into it like a bird, sir. <laughs> Took a bit of grub, too, and a glass of wine, she did. Oh, very good, Paul Will. Well, now, it stands to reason, sir. A frigate in the sea like this and a battle like lock with what we've had is, well, it's a bit rough on an high-born lady. Just confine yourself to facts and keep your opinions to yourself, Paul Will. The high-born lady joined this ship of her own free will, knowing that she was about to go into action. Aye, aye sir. Now, uh, about you, sir. Here's some dry clothes in a chest in the storeroom. Well, I'm afraid the last broadside done for everything in your cabin. Well, I don't want any dry clothes. Uh, of course you don't, sir. No, I wouldn't suggest it, except in... Well, if your pig's cold, sir, you won't be fit when we catch it up with a nativity. Will you change up here, sir, or come below? Uh, <clears throat> now, now, look. If I just lash this here hammock chair to the rail, sir... You could sit there when you've changed and have this biscuit and rum, couldn't you, sir? And this here boat cloak will keep some of the spray off you. But you won't have to leave the deck. Oh, Will, are you presuming to give me orders? Orders, sir? Me? I hope so knows my place, sir. Hmm. It's all right, Mr. Bush, sir. You can turn in now. <laughs> Captain's in his chair and sleeping like a baby, sir. <laughs> Good heavens, I must have dozed off. What time is it, I wonder? Impossible, it's after midnight. As black as the Earl of Hell's riding boots. Hmm, feels to me as though the weather's improving. Let's have a look at the binnacle. Ah, Mr. Bush. Wind's shifting southerly and moderated, sir. A bit of starlight, even. I can't see a thing. The dividend might be 20 miles away or only 200 yards. Yes, I doubt she's close. She was going away to leeward rapidly when we last saw her. She can't have carried out all the repairs she'll need in this weather. What do you think she'll do, sir? Mm, that fellow Crespo commands her is no fool. <clears throat> I believe he'll try to avoid us until he can get into the Gulf of Fonseca and refit. He'd like us to follow him into the Gulf, so he'd have the advantage of the shore batteries as well. But he can't make much sail in his crippled condition, sir. But even if he could, the wind is wrong for getting to the Gulf. I had observed that fact, Mr. Bush. I believe he'll reach far out to sea and claw southwards as far as he can. 
I shall return to my chair until daylight and attempt to work out what is likely to be his position at dawn. Aye, aye, sir. Morning, sir. Sea's going down fast, sir, and the wind's taken off. Sun will be up in ten minutes. Yes, we'll make sail, if you please, Mr. Bush. Here is the course you were to sail. But as I gave the course, I knew that it was sheer guesswork. Every yard I sailed might be away from the Tatevadad while she hurried to safety. My heart was heavy with misgiving, for I knew that if I had failed, there would be many who would attribute that failure to incompetence or cowardice. Concerned, determined not to allow anyone to guess at the doubts and fears which tormented me. When the light should be sufficient for the masthead lookout to scan the horizon, I might be justified or ruined. Yet even my resolution to remain calm must have wavered when my gloomy thoughts were pierced by a wild cry from aloft. We found her, sir. We found her. You are right again, sir. Uh-huh. Look, sir. You can see her from here with the glass. Dead ahead. Yeah. Ah. ah, she's coming round, sir. She's running away. Yes, Crespo wishes to postpone action. He prefers discretion to heroics, and quite rightly, Mr. Bush. However, set every stitch we can carry, send the hands to breakfast. If we engage, there's no telling when they'll eat again, if ever. Aye, aye, sir. Hands to breakfast. We're gaining, sir. She'll not get away this time. We'll blow her right out of the water. Never underestimate your opponent, Mr. Bush. Those 24 pounders of hers are heavy metal. We have a ship which is leaking like a sieve, has a makeshift rig, and is 64 men short. And our firing force is far inferior to hers. You think the wind's going to hold her? Mm. Seems to me as if the sun's swallowing it. Oh, it's getting mighty hot, too. It'll be just our luck to lose the wind now. I can't trim it anymore. Hi! You at the wheel. Oh, here, small blast you. I can't, sir, begging your pardon. There ain't enough wind. Damn it, he's right. The wind's gone, sir. And look at that sky. It's like brass. But in that dead calm and well out of range. We will tow with the boat. Have the launch and cutter hoisted out. Boats away. Cutter's crew. Launch's crew. Two 
Hicks. Mr. Galbraith. Let that name come and stay. It's twice directly. Aye, sir. Mr. Bush, at what distance would you, would you say she is now? Oh, three parts of a mile, I should say, sir. Uh, so I think. I, I fear our carronades will not be effective at that distance. Relieve the boat's crews and see if fresh men can pull us nearer. I like It was intolerably hot. The smell of pitch from the deck seems the bitter tang of powder and the smell of the blood from the wounded combined with my fatigue and anxiety to make me feel deathly sick. I feared to disgrace myself by being sick in front of the men. They, too, no longer joked at the guns. They were beginning to sulk under punishment. It was a bad sign. Sullivan! Sir! Yes, Sullivan. You your fiddle? Aye, sir, I have that. Well, that's when we'll have a hornpipe. Benskin, Hall, McAvoy. A hornpipe for me to do and a guinea for the man that does his best. Horatio 
Hornblower, starring Michael Redgrave, is based on the novels by C.S. Forrester. Music composed and conducted by Sidney Torch. Produced by Harry Allen Towers. quarter.